This is a HeadGum Podcast. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. another episode of Just a Tip. I'm your host, Megan Batoon, and today I'm so very excited for this episode because it is truly mind-changing. It's one of the ones I'm going to listen to over and over again. My guest is Christina Mendlachiani. She's the co-founder of Mind Valley, which maybe you've stumbled upon on YouTube when searching for self-development talks. It is a gigantic personal growth learning platform, and Christina's been in the personal transformation industry for over 17 years. She's an international speaker, an entrepreneur, artist, philanthropist, and we talk about the stick. I mean, we talk about so much, but we talk about the stigma of self-help, alternative versions of the life we're living on autopilot and what else is possible and the importance of injecting happiness in everyday life. It is a good one. Get your notebooks out and without further ado, enjoy. So before we jump into all my questions, I wanted to know your background because I read that you started in the government, right? Yeah, not just the government, but I would say I started on a different planet (laughs) because I was... (laughs) I was born in, in Soviet Union, the country which doesn't exist, and it's a very interesting, uh, interesting experience because a lot of the younger people who were born in Soviet Union they um, kind of erase that part of their memory. But I grew up in that country, so yes, I started from a different planet, and uh, I was 14 when Soviet Union collapsed, and uh, things changed dramatically. Uh, so just just to give you an idea, we didn't have private property in Soviet Union. There was no business uh, that was punished by law and um, we couldn't travel uh, outside the country. The country fortunately was big. So such little things, that's that's where I came from. So when uh, I went to university and studied uh, politics, <laughs> surprisingly, mm-hmm. um, I started a, a career in government and Estonia had just become independent. So there was the huge change of winds uh, and a lot of the people in the government were young. So I made my career by the age of 25. And I'm not surprising, in fact, because we had a minister of interior and the minister of defense who were 27 at that time. Yeah. So that, that was just, uh, just a slightly unusual beginning of a otherwise normal life. Right. What's in the water? Everyone's so successful at such a young age over there. It's, uh, we didn't have an option. It was uh, either the uh, old uh, army of uh, corrupt and, uh, and really, 
uh, rotten politicians who have been in power for a very long time or just clear everyone and everything out of the office and, and get new people. So that, that was literally the, uh, the mood of the day. And uh, they also had this rule where if you were in the Communist Party, you didn't have ever at any point in your life, you couldn't hold a political position for, for quite a long time here. So that was partially the reason. Wow. So when was the transition between working, you know, on a different planet and then going into transformational training or like the journey of the mind? It was a smooth journey back to Earth. Oh, yeah. It was smooth. Uh, well, I guess it's uh, the benefit of young age. You just don't take things as dramatically or the other way around. You take everything so dramatically that that doesn't make, make much of a difference. Uh, I went to university already in a new country and um, I was part of this big international organization called ISEC. That's where I met with my, at some point, husband Vision <laughs> and uh, still, still a partner, I guess, for life. And... Um, I got married. I gave up everything I had here. I moved to New York and I was not allowed to work in New York because he was a foreigner as well. So I had nothing better to do than help him with his business. That's how I ended up in business. Wow. Okay. So was he in the mind training business as well, or he was something else? He was uh, doing uh, technology for lawyers. It was uh, early 2000s. So that was, uh, again, a slightly slightly different time from now. Uh, and uh, personal growth wasn't really that strong. There was uh, already training going on, but it was a little more, I call it old school, uh, you know, the uh, professional training, how to be efficient, how to negotiate, how to, you know, this kind of trainings. So personal growth was still on the margins. But Vision has always been uh, very uh, passionate about personal growth, uh, personally, himself. So he did, uh, he did uh, that kind of training on the side and then he started teaching meditation classes and that's how Mind Valley really was started as a side business. Um, so when he, we lived in New York, uh, Mind Valley was his side business. I had nothing better to do except watch uh, soap operas and help him with his business. That's that's how I ended up in, in business and, and in personal growth because another interesting thing from the planet which I came from was that we somehow uh, didn't believe in, um, in uh, that kind of uh, learning, I would say, uh, because even now, uh, the idea of going to psychotherapy in our part of the world is very alien. Uh, right. I remember once uh, giving an interview to a journalist and she started the interview with a question, but isn't self-help for losers? So that's predominant, uh, predominant mood. And I remember when we uh, started having our first uh, problems in, in relationships, which is a normal thing, not like problems problems but just yeah, yeah, arguments yeah. Uh, Vision uh, gave me a book by John Gray uh, men are from uh, Mars and women are from Venus and I was absolutely outraged I, was, I, I said Vision what outraged. do you think of me am I an idiot and and the funny funny thing is that a few years later when um, I met John Gray through work already Vision's introduction was this is my wife she refuses to read your book oh my gosh that's amazing so okay you move to New York, you start this business of personal growth. I actually want to, before we even go any further, the self-help for losers part, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that when I was growing up too, that's kind of, I, I grew up in Florida and I feel like now I live in LA and it's, you know, it, personal growth is everywhere. And so back in Florida, also when I was a child, like therapy wasn't really that 
uh, one, common, but two, looked graciously upon. And so anytime that people were in therapy, it was like, why do you need that? What's wrong with you? And I, I love that now that we're in 2021, that's not how society... Uh, over, at least over here, thinks about it. And millennials and Gen Z, I think we're very open arms to it because we have to essentially like do the work of breaking generational trauma that our parents didn't do because we don't want to pass it on. And so we're like, okay, we're going to finally do it. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for it. But back in 2000, when you're getting into this sector of work, when people are thinking that self-help is for losers, like how did you combat that? And how did you teach people that that's not actually a helpful mindset? It's, you know, it's not completely gone, I think. Uh, we sometimes are a little delusional about how the world actually sees, uh, sees the rest of the world. Yes, we yeah. do have our own bubble and we interact mostly with people who are like-minded. So we have an idea, especially if you move to a place where uh, there are a lot of people who think like you. So you have a feeling that that's how the whole world thinks. But occasionally when you happen to find yourself in a different environment, you uh, get surprised that uh, the world is... Right. just so diverse. I lived in Asia for 16 years and, uh, and uh, people there, it's, it's, you know, it's this interesting contradiction. On one side, we are all very much alike, but then on the other side, we're so different. Our, our lives are so different. And, and even how we see the world is so different. I can, uh, I, I know it from my own experience. I remember my first trip to Germany when I was uh, a child, well, not a child, actually, I was 18. Uh, my parents took me to Germany. It was quite a few, just, just four years after Soviet Union collapsed. So uh, we uh, couldn't afford uh, going to a restaurant, obviously. Uh, we, uh, the first night I spent in Germany in a, in a car park, in a car with my parents, because it was just such crazy different uh, level of uh, prices for us. And now when I look back at myself, it feels like it's a different human being. It doesn't make sense anymore. So sometimes when you uh, go through from one paradigm to another, you don't realize uh, that, that that shift had happened. Uh, there was this interesting cartoon about people uh, about creatures in two-dimensional world who couldn't understand the three-dimensional concepts just because they were in a different dimension so that self-help is um uh is is for losers you know i think in my personal case maybe i took self-help a little too literally because i i have to confess i've never been to a psychotherapy session not once yeah really i, I do oh, have an excuse that i know a lot of uh therapists i know a lot of i, I read a lot of psychology so uh, i i get my nuggets uh, and i do consult with with people i just haven't been to to a, like, like to a, a session yes. sure. <laughs> but uh but on the other hand and uh, I think it is an interesting, um, an interesting phenomenon because there is obviously resistance if I, if I haven't been even out of curiosity. Uh, but I, I believe that this name self-help is actually very misleading and we shouldn't be even using it. Because I agree. Yeah, see you, more on that. If you look, um, if you look at personal growth, the areas that we are dealing with, it shouldn't be self-help. It should be self-motivation to go and look for help. And we've just mm. skipped a whole bunch of words in between. Uh, a very simple analogy. I like to talk about uh, emotional uh, literacy. Uh, it's my latest uh, favorite topic. Uh, and I like to compare our emotions to our physical body. So if you, by that, by that analogy, if you were to break a leg, you maybe would have put a bandage at home, but you would go to the doctor to get the cast put on your leg. You mm -hmm. don't treat 
uh, your broken bone yourself. Somehow when it comes to our uh, emotional life, if something is wrong with us, we think that we can just self-help ourselves out of, out of whatever problems we are facing. So I like that analogy because it's, it's clear that with the, our physical body, we wouldn't self-medicate. Yet somehow when it comes to all the other areas of our life, uh, be it, yes, emotions maybe is a little bit more straightforward because emotional well-being, uh, mental health is actually aspect of, of human health. But even when it comes to nutrition, exercise, uh, relationships, uh, business, I don't think we should be self-medicating ourselves in, in any of those areas. Right. I mean, I have so many gripes with society, in, in the American society in general. I, you know, haven't lived all over the world, so I don't know how everyone thinks. But I mean, it's, I don't think that people are taking it as seriously as it is. I mean, my journey of talking about mental health is to open it up for people that, one, don't think that it's necessary or or have been kind of brainwashed into thinking that it is for losers. Because I remember when I was living back in Florida when I was younger, there was a place called Books A Million. I don't even think it exists anymore. It's like so old. But you, you would go in there and you can like read books. They had like couches. It's like a library, but you could, it's a bookstore, but they also wanted you to sit and read the books in, in the place. And I always remember walking by the self-help book section and like feeling like it was forbidden in a way that like, oh, you shouldn't read this in public because people are going to feel sad for you. And that's so weird for me because it's like, if someone is reading a self-help book, they're, they're already doing steps that other people wouldn't do because they want to get better. Like it shouldn't be looked down upon. It should be celebrated. Like good for you that you are searching for answers or nuggets of information to make your life better than what it is. Like I think that's great. Well, there's another aspect to that as well, which I have noticed because I'm in the business of self, uh, well, I don't like the word self-help, of personal growth right. and transformation. Um, and another tendency that I've noticed is that people who haven't been in touch with that, they don't really understand. They think mm. this is some kind of... Um, some kind of magic pills that we are dealing in or, or <laughs> rose tinted glasses. So a lot of the criticism also comes from misunderstanding what it is about and fear that this is some kind of a, uh, a scam or, or something like, I, I'm sorry to say, but I even have a friend, childhood friend who says, Oh, Christina, you sell hot air. So it's an interesting thing to, uh, an interesting world to, to exist in because that's not how I feel. Uh, yeah. But uh, on the other hand, if you look at contemporary world where so many people are influencers, there is a lot of health, uh, hot air. There is a person who get, who becomes successful in a certain area of life, and then they feel confident enough to share advice on everything else. So right. it's like, I, I call it like singing. You wouldn't try to play an instrument unless you have learned it because you just don't have the technique. But everybody has a voice and vocal cords that which, which you can to some degree manipulate. So uh, a lot of people sing even if they can't and the worse they're hearing, the louder they sing. So unfortunately, <laughs> with personal growth, it's a very similar thing. There are examples of people who are successful in business, but they will start teaching you on how to sleep, how to eat, how to, uh, how to a lot of things in your life. And the question is, is that really helpful? So unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit... Um, unfortunate niche, but also uh, I see a lot of opportunity for that because yes, there, there, there is hot air there, there is uh, fizzle and nothingness and, and bad advice, but it is important. 
It is vital. And we need to start figuring it out because what happens is that we we uh, are so confused because we don't understand. And by we, I mean a society at large, not just our environment, uh, the closest people who get it, probably not the people who are listening. But we also have to be aware that uh, it is not a mainstream yet. Even if we are more yeah. comfortable hearing about people meditating and and going to th- therapy, but it is not mainstream. And there is still a lot of stigma around that. There is. And I think I always forget that because it's such an integral part of my world um, that I don't realize that I am on the other side. Like I am on the side with you, all the people listening, we're on this side. And so it is very much a bubble when I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling through all of my my people that I'm following that it's a like-minded collective. And so it is interesting to think that I do have friends that, you know, are a little resistant to therapy or to even meditation. And so with that, I'd love to hear your your opinions on like talking to those people or if people are listening and they've got roommates or friends or, or people that they're in relationship with that maybe aren't, you know, buckling up on this train of personal growth. Like how do we speak to people that are a little resistant in order to open their minds to, to come see what like the greatness is? Well, you just uh, touched upon a topic which we can talk about for a really long time. Uh, I would say, uh, what, uh, I would first ask, what what is your goal in talking? If you want to talk to these people to open their mind, then don't. Right, because it's we can't change anyone unless they're in diapers. The the well, the thing is that uh, first of all, I am a little bit relativist when it comes to truth per se. Because I don't believe there is uh, a very absolute uh, concept of uh, of what is the right thing to do. Mm. Well, of course there are. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about very simple thing as not to kill, not to steal, not to lie, and and, and things like that. But when it comes to how we live our lives, uh, it's like who am I to judge how somebody else lives the life? Right. Um, so my my approach is a little uh, a little bit maybe not what you would expect from a person who who is co-founder of one of the biggest personal growth and transformation companies. But I still believe that uh, people, when they're ready, they'll come and they'll look for you and they'll find their teacher and they'll hear your uh, your hints maybe. But there there is this principle which I learned a few years ago that everyone has the right to their journey. I have the right to my journey and people that I love have the right to their journey. And very often we might misunderstand, like it's in essence, we all want to be happy and we want the people that we love to be happy, but our understanding of what it means to be happy may be very different. Uh, just a very primitive example, uh, your understanding of happiness might be to study art and devote yourself to art and be an artist and your parents' understanding of happiness might be being successful in monetary terms and art is a very questionable place especially contemporary art it's uh, it's mm-hmm. not it's it, it's not dependent on talent as much as on uh, a lot of other factors so here you have the same goal happiness but the idea of what is the right thing to do is very different and i'm not going to say that cliche actually i am going to say that cliche that a lot of the times truth depends on your point of view so with that in mind everybody has the right to their journey but not just that everybody has the right for their to their mistakes right. and this is a little bit more complicated uh, idea to adopt because when you see a person that you love making a mistake 
<laughs> you 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 naturally want to help <laughs> avoid the mistake but then again who are you to judge right so okay even if you're right i'm a, a mother i have uh, i have children so i would assume that I, i have a slightly better judgment of life than they do at their young age although <laughs> who am i uh, right let's say if if i am out there to help them avoid mistakes what will happen Well, oftentimes we get experiences in life because we need them. We need to go through a certain experience. And if I'm going to prevent you from getting your experience, what will happen is that you will get it. You will get your lesson. Mm. But mm-hmm. I might not be around to be uh, your support. So a more a practical example so that I'm not just abstract. Uh, it was a few years ago. My son, he was younger then. Uh, we, we came from a trip and I put him to sleep and I, uh, In the middle of the night, I walked into his room and he's crying. So I asked him, Hayden, why are you crying? He said, you know, we were traveling and I haven't done homework and my classmates depend on that. And I'm really worried and scared and ashamed. And my first reaction was to go and to write to the teacher that I'm so sorry. It was my fault. I took him out on a trip, uh, you know, solve his problem. But then I remember that principle that we all have the right to our journey and we have the right to make our mistakes. And the best thing I, as a parent, can do to the child that I love is to help him learn the skills that he will need, need in life, but he might not have me then, later. So I stopped myself and I said, uh, I, I, said I just sat with Hayden and we discussed what it, how it feels to be scared and what do I do when I'm scared and, and you know, things like that. Uh, yeah. He went to school the next day. I know he was scared. Uh, he was nervous. And when he came back from school, I asked, how did he go? And he was already like, ah! It's all fine. <laughs> the wow. point of this story is that it's not that he's feeling scared. It's not that I'm trying to help him avoid pain. I'm allowing him to have his journey, knowing that I'm there for him to love him and to accept him and to support him as much as I can through his journey, through his mistakes. So I'm not, yes, I, I may express my opinion that I don't think you should be doing that, but I'm never forceful about my opinion to people that I love, except the people that I am very close with. And I, yeah. I mean, we are all humans, we all do that. But if, I, <laughs> if I'm conscious enough, I will stop myself from doing that because the best thing you can do for the people that you love is keep your, uh, you know, keep your light on no matter what. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like my upbringing was was the opposite of I think uh, my my mom just wants nothing to ever go wrong. And so I didn't really have those skills and I had to learn them like you said a little bit later. And that's so nice to hear like before I become a mother to know that yeah, I I think I want no mistakes to happen in my personal life already and I know that I'll probably give that to my kids. But I think as of even right now, like I'm dealing with some stuff that I can't avoid. And, and I always try to like lessen the blow or make it less uncomfortable. But I think there's so much to discover in the uncomfort of it all. And like, I, I know that life is messy and I know that there's so many emotions that aren't going to be yummy. And right now I think I'm just like, okay, I think I've got to feel these emotions even though I don't want them because then I can develop those skills to deal with them later in, if I don't push over them and brush over them now as I normally would. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Because I'm like such a go, go, go person that I'm like, oh, I don't have time to, to look into this. I don't have time to cry. I don't have time to feel bad about this. I don't have time to feel embarrassed. And it's like, okay, that's a, a telltale sign that I do need to feel all these feelings right now. You I know, need it's, to slow it's, down. Uh, I, I really like that you word, uh, use the word yummy because when it comes to the word yummy, think of the food. It's not yeah. just the sweet food, which is yummy. Some people really yeah. love spicy. Some people love sour, even bitter. So when right. it, if you're using the word yummy for emotions, I don't see any problems with, with regret, with nostalgia, with fear, with uh, uh, excitement bordering on panic. They all may yeah. be yummy. <laughs> right. And I, I, yeah, I think that I wish that now that I'm thinking about it, I wish that we had societally, even just like a, I mean, there's so much with society that I wish that is different, but I just feel like, I mean, this is me speaking for myself. I can't speak for everybody, but I really think that my personal development goes in waves. I really get like gung ho on board and I'm meditating every day. I'm treating myself well. I'm exercising. I'm getting enough water, rest, uh, journaling, and then I'll just get so busy. And then all of that falls and I'm, I'm just back on the grind and I'm working 16 hour days. I'm eating lunch at my computer and it's just, I'm treating myself poorly. And I guess uh, my main thing right now that I need to work on is having a more stable, a stable practice. And I know I was looking at your website and you've got a couple programs and one of the bullets on one was saying like dealing with uncertainty and change for when life gets crazy, like you'll have stability. So like, what does that look like? Cause I'm probably going to do these programs because I really want to get back into it. Um, cause I, it just feels so good to be in alignment and to like, really, really just like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's the best time I've ever had living my life is when I'm aligned with my source and I, and I take myself, I'm like being nicer to myself as if I was babysitting my younger inner child. That's when I feel the best. And when I'm working so much and have all this internalized capitalism to like build my, my wealth and my success, it just, it takes me off the course of, of my personal happiness. Well, so I, I wanted that, to ask yeah. you, do you actually enjoy working hard? Yes. Then what's I, the problem? Ah, that's such a good question. I, I think it's just, there's no balance. Like I love productivity, but to me, it's like a drug. Do you, and this is what I'm, do you actually enjoy balance? That's the question. Like just for you to, um, like my, my personal example, I might just come across different, but, uh, 
I like to be very slow during the day and, and sit and work in bed and, and things like that. But I only like it because from time to time I get this crazy mode on and I work 24 hours a day and do like a whole lot of interviews and finish the day saying like, oh, that was a very productive day. I do not like, um, I'm not a five-year-old child, so I don't actually like routines too much. I like some of the, uh, some of the routines, some of the traditions, but it's like, uh, if you stay at home, <laughs> most of us have stayed at home way too long for the past one and a half uh, years and then you start craving to 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 have um, a change so it's uh, what I'm saying that is that if you live that way there is a very good likelihood that you're actually enjoying it that way mm. and um to to go a little deeper be, beyond that because I I don't know you enough to to give you diagnosis and even if I did I wouldn't <laughs> but uh, but uh, to go deeper from that uh, you know the other day I it was five o'clock and I needed to to put my makeup before the the session and then I suddenly remembered that I forgot to take a shower <laughs> so the question is what how do you define taking care of yourself. Because what you're talking about is actually maintenance. You're maintaining that cute young body and keeping it at a healthy. Uh, it's, um, if, if I bring another analogy, if you have a baby, there isn't the maintenance work around the baby to change the diaper, to feed the baby, clean the baby, walk the baby. I lived in Asia for 16 years. A lot of people have uh, nannies. I had, my, my kids had nannies. But nannies never replace the connection that a child has with their, their parents. Right. The love, the care. So when it comes to personal uh, care, uh, contemporary society often uh, defines self-love and self-care at a very skin-deep level. Take a break, meditate, uh, you know, uh, soak in the bathtub, go for a massage, mm -hmm. uh, even exercise, eat well, but this is maintenance work. Right. The real relationship, and you you would understand that if you compare a relationship with yourself with a relationship with a, uh, with another person, you can take care of the person, but uh, your relationship or the strength or the meaning or the juice of your relationship is actually in the love, mm. the how uh, to say the you know how. Uh, you love a child unconditionally. That means that no matter what they do, no matter how they look, no matter how mistaken they are, they are you're willing to accept them the way they are, love them the way they are. If we take self-care a little bit deeper and forget about that maintenance job and think about what is your relationship with you through all of that, what is your relationship with you when you're a good girl and you're doing good things? What is your relationship with you when you're being crazy and spending 24 hours a day working and thinking about your mission? I don't think your routines matter as much as whether you can maintain that consistency in loving and accepting yourself as you are through all of your expressions. So my answer to that would be just take self-care a little deeper and then there will be less turbulence. Yeah, that's interesting of thinking about self-care like maintenance because I feel like all of the things that 
fall first when I am really busy are the maintenance things. And that's why I burn out. And that's why I have health issues whenever it gets really crazy. And so, yeah, I mean, the the baseline of self-care should be for me meditating and taking a break and not eating at my computer. And I, it's, it's interesting that I can't, or sometimes it feels like I can't even do the maintenance part because life gets so crazy. I had a friend say, Uh, once about meditation when I was like, oh, I just don't have time for that. And he was like, whenever you feel like you don't have time for meditation is when you need it the most. And it's like, oh, you're right. Yes. It's just so easy to get sucked in into the the grind and the hustle of of working because that's just like how I grew up. That's how I was raised. Like I have an immigrant father and it was just like, you got to work hard in order to get anything. And it's just like, okay, hard work beats everything. And so ingrained in my body is just work hard, work hard, work hard, well, be you, the best, you, straight A's. You know, you you will not hear uh, that from me. You will not hear me saying that, no, no, you should meditate no matter what. No, you don't. You should enjoy yourself no matter what. You should yeah. live, uh, you should be present in your life 100% no matter what. You should be present. Not right. your body, not your, your uh, avatar but you personally, and that means that you shouldn't be running away from you because I can tell you from my 18 years of working personal growth and meditate and, and transformation, people use uh, meditation, yoga, uh, personal growth practices as an escape mechanism all right. the time, all the time. That's not the problem. I'm not going to be telling you that you have to do those things, even if we, we, that's our business in explaining people how to do those things because that's not important. What is concerning is the idea that hard work brings success because that's actually, uh, honestly speaking, not quite true. Yeah. But that the aside, if you're enjoying that regime, then go ahead, do that. Yes, you do need to recharge like the phone needs to recharge. Yes, you do need to sleep. You need do need to have a rest. But if you stressing and shaming yourself for being busy you're doing more damage by by ruining your relationship with yourself than by not maintaining your body properly Mm. i'm letting that sink in (laughs) okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. That's so interesting. Yeah, being present regardless. I think I just, I get confused too, because if 
if I'm doing so much and I am, say, present in working, um, I do interior design, so I do 3D modeling, right? So if I'm on the computer and I'm picking the materials and the colors and the shapes and I'm drawing all these plans, that is so joyous to me. But at the same time, if I'm just knocking things off my to-do list on admin, that is also, I'm, I'm being present doing that. But the balance isn't there. And so I still feel like all I want to be doing is creating. But since I have to have all these businesses, I'm present, but I don't think I'm enjoying everything. So that's where it gets confusing when you say like, are you present in, in, in having fun in everything you're doing? And like, I don't know if I, I'm enjoying that I'm getting stuff done, but I don't know how much I'm enjoying the actual process of doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Well, there are two, two ways to look at that. One of them is, um, why, why are you doing things? Are you doing things because you have to? In that case, since you're an entrepreneur, my suggestion would be, uh, well, delegate all those things. Find people to do those things because time is the only resource that cannot be created out of nothing. The only way to create more time is to give away the things that somebody else can do. And here, a very simple analogy would be when I moved to Asia, I was a little bit uh, shocked in the beginning because I was, I mean, I was born on a different planet, so I wasn't used to people taking care of us. So I had hard times with with the concept of having maids, drivers, nannies, cooks. In the end, I did uh, have a household full of people who helped me, but that saved at least 20 hours of my life every week. 20 hours. That's the only place where I can buy time. And that same, exactly the same analogy works in business for me. It took me years of uh, making mistakes before I realized that in my business, the only thing I want to do is that only I can do maintenance work and the, uh, the, the the hamster in the wheel that can be delegated and should be delegated and have to be delegated it's uh, there are people who enjoy every single job you just have to find the right person there are people who actually enjoy cleaning who actually enjoy cooking and I hate cooking Right. So uh, you never, never do the things. And I believe you're probably also perfectionist, like so many of us in in this industry and and entrepreneurs. We always think I can do better. I can do faster. But that's not the goal. The goal is that the work is done, not that it's done the best way possible. The goal is that you have the freedom and the space to do only the things that only you can do. That no one else can replace you, your genius, your artistic uh, approach to, to, to your work. And that is, and that is a different thing because creativity requires space. And we often place ourselves in this hamster's wheel because we have this paradigm that uh, you, if, if you don't do hard work, then you won't reach success. And if you reach success, then it's fishy, then it's not real, it's not sustainable. Bullshit. No. Mm-hmm. That's just what society teaches us. There is this interesting thing. I'll, I'll share with you if you don't mind. And yes, uh, please. whoever is uh, listening, you could try to do this exercise. It's super simple and you might have do, done that. I want you to look around and notice all the things which are yellow in your environment right now. Oh, wow. You can so look many. back. Yeah, I have a lot of yellow. Okay, and now close your eyes and try to remember all the things which were red. Oh, no. (laughs) So that is how reticular activating system works. This is uh, your goal defines your perception. Whatever you're looking, you're going to seek it out and notice it. And now that you look around, you will find red things. They will exist Mm -hmm. somewhere there. If not there, then at least this red button on the screen. Uh, Mm -hmm. that's, That's the interesting thing. And our beliefs work the same way. Right. 
they, they, uh, your belief is a, a virus which feeds on evidence. So if you believe that hard work brings success, then your reticular activating system is going to point out every single example of people who have put a lot of hard work, sweat and blood, uh, tears and endless hours, and they've reached success. But you will not see anything else. And that's, that's the problem with a lot, of, uh, a lot of us. We have so much junk in our head and we constantly on a single every day we we see we see a proof of that junk mm. because that's that's how our brain works it's it's uh, geared that's that's its goal and that's going to be its perception you really have to open yourself up to what you care to 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 have in your life so uh, you know, if you want to see examples of people who don't have time to meditate beyond five minutes a day and are still super successful, happy, present and living extraordinary lives, just allow this as a, uh, as a hypothesis. And you will start noticing the examples. And then eventually you, you suddenly realize that, that, that the world isn't what it used to be for you before because you notice new things. Right. Yeah, I definitely remember when I was doing, I guess, all of my spiritual maintenance, I remember, you know, like vibrating on a higher frequency. I felt like I was better. I, I felt like my life was more ex exciting to live. And so I think it, the question I will have for you that I feel like a lot of other people are thinking is if we have been conditioned to focus on hard work, bringing success or whatever it may be that we were taught as a young child or societally, how do we start to shift that perception into what we want our goal to be? Say it is being present or having fun in every task, task that we're doing. Like how much work is it to divorce ourselves from that archaic mindset so that we can start looking for those little bits of, of red or yellow. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's, that's the interesting thing because often when you don't like a certain belief, uh, the one which might work with you might not be the exact opposite. Uh, so if I say uh, success doesn't require hard work, it doesn't mean that I'm saying that success doesn't require any work. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, not at all. So uh, you, you really have to find that alternative, which might not be so logical and not so obvious. And for that, uh, well, the easy, not the easiest, but the first step is to just uh, give yourself those hypotheses. What else is out there? What else is possible? Can I see other examples? Can I see other ideas or, or you know, the role models? Ask people how, how they think, what they think, where, how do they live by? Uh, my personal experience is different. I know a lot of massively successful people who have time for their hobbies, for sports, for their families. Uh, and, and that's my reality because I've, I've wanted it for the past many years. I've, uh, I've done enough hard work to know that it doesn't bring you success. It doesn't bring you happiness. It doesn't even bring you success. All it right. brings you is this slavery. It's, you know, it's like um, in the gym, like gym analogies. Uh, when you go to the gym and you exercise and you don't feel uh, pain in your muscles, you add weights. Because yeah. we have been taught that for your muscles to exercise, they have to uh, tear and feel pain and then they recover and that's how your muscle grows. So that's what happens with this idea that success requires hard work. If something happens too easy for you, like when you are in the flow, mm -hmm. you start subconsciously creating resistance so that you feel that it doesn't come easy. 
Because if it comes easy, you won't believe it. You will right. feel that you are a fraud, imposter syndrome, that it is not going to last with, for you. So you'll start subconsciously creating resistance. That's why it's, it's pretty much everything in personal growth and transformation starts with awareness. And that's, that's a very remarkable practice. That's when you start noticing what's going on in your life, not just living on autop autopilot. We all live on autopilot. Even people in personal growth live on autopilot because we create habits, maybe consciously if, if, uh, initially, but then habits, habits start running our lives. They start running us and we don't notice any, them anymore. So the habit of awareness is when whatever you do, even if you're doing it, uh, well, automatically, maybe, or, or habitually, you're still conscious and aware what's going on. Like mm -hmm. a, a simple example from personal growth. Do you do a gratitude practice? I used to. I should get back on it. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> okay, good. Tell me more. <laughs> no, no, you, you can. Yeah, you might, but you don't have to. <laughs> well, the thing okay, with, okay. with, with uh, like with a lot of practices, gratitude practice is beautiful practice. And I do suggest it as part of my course, Seven Days to Happiness. But there is a, a thing. If you do it ritualistically, mindlessly, mm. it stops losing its edge. Because the point of gratitude, uh, you have to look beyond the surface, beyond the facade into the essence of the phenomenon. Why do we do gratitude practice? Because the emotion of gratitude is really healthy emotion. Well, if you right. refer to that scale, the famous uh, uh, David Hawkins' scale of, of emotions, it's a, one of the higher emotions. So the point of the practice is that you, first of all, you focus on the things which are good. You sh shift your focus. And the second thing is that you experience that good emotion. But mm -hmm. a lot of the times, if we are very used to a certain practice, we start doing it so automatically that it doesn't, it doesn't even do the job anymore. You stop Absolutely. feeling the gratitude. And that's why you stop doing it, because it stopped working. You repeat the same thing over and over again. Yes, of course, I'm grateful for being alive. But how right. often can I be grateful for it? Now I need to take care of my immediate needs and my problems. So the point is that everything that you do can lose its essence if you're doing it mindlessly on autopilot. Even the best personal growth practices can lose their edge, can stop working for you. So awareness, literally everything starts with an awareness. Once you have awareness, that's when you notice what you want to change. And when you notice something that you want to change, the best thing, the best uh, rules that I have are very simple. There is no absolute th truth. And I know this is a dangerous ground right now, but let's, let's talk about that from the point of view, just uh, uh, not, not like, I'm not talking about it morally or ethically, obviously, Sure. <laughs> but whatever truth you take, nothing is truly absolute. Like let's say hundred years ago, people believed that with age, you lose health, uh, energy, vitality. Now we see a lot of examples of people who are healthy all the way to their last breath. And they have energy and vitality. So that absolute truth kind of changed over time. So if you, if you just remember that almost everything we believe in is just a relative idea that we, uh, it just happened so that we believed it and we lived by this idea. And that's why we saw so much uh, proof of it. So mm -hmm. hardly any truth is ever absolute. Number one. Number two, you might be mistaken. Whatever you say, your truth might be just relative truth and you may, you may be mistaken. What's the big deal? So if you come, uh, with, if you come with these um, ingredients, you have awareness. So you notice what you want to change, what you don't like. And then you just, you just tell yourself, you know, I might be wrong here. 
I might be mistaken. That truth, that belief might not be uh, the actual truth. <laughs> so that, that allows you, that takes, gets you off the hook of your own ego, of your own uh, idea of what is perfect, what is, what is right, and allows you to just be open like a child, curious, and try to see what else is possible. And when you ask yourself what else is possible, you'll start noticing and then you'll notice what likes, what you like, what works for you. And then you start working on that new belief. Even if that belief is also a relative truth, who cares? I decided to stop aging and I'm probably wrong, but I don't care. I have nothing to lose. <laughs> You're doing it. You like, you said you lived in Asia for 16 years. I was like, you look 16. Like, <laughs> you, <laughs> Thank you. You figured it out. <laughs> That I love that so much. The, the what else is possible, I think is such a good mantra because it's, I, I think I always forget that there are other alternatives to how I'm living just because I've been doing the same thing for so long. Not saying that I've been like plateauing or coasting, which has definitely happened. I always do feel like I'm at least uh, growing in my skill set. But sometimes I'm just like, oh, do I really need to be working like I, I built my own business. Why am I working this amount? You know, like if I do want to not work on Fridays, like I should be able to do that. But so much of the guilt has been inside of me being like, you need to be working all the time to justify anything that you're doing or anything you're buying, or it's just, it's so much. And I'm not, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I should be a little kinder with myself and, and living the ideal life that I want to. If I only want to work, you know, in the morning at nights and then have my middle of the day for coffee or stroll or to just be creative and read a book, I should be able to do that. But for some reason, I, I'm in this prison thinking that that's not OK. Who, who are you waiting to give you the permission I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's, you know, what I had learned from childhood of, I feel like I probably hear my dad's voice in my head being like, you, why are you taking a break? Like heart, if you're awake, you should be working. Uh, that's, that's a very interesting place to dig in. And I believe you, you, you'll have some exciting times of introspection yes, <laughs> to try yes. to figure out why you're thinking. So, you know, I, I, when I used to be married, my, my now ex-husband Vishen used to hate uh, when I translated Russian jokes because they just don't sound as funny in English. But I was right. doing an interview recently with a very amazing woman, uh, and she has this concept, uh, you can or you're allowed it's it's like it's a russian word you're allowed so she shared this joke about um a woman well uh, a female coming to her mom and saying mom i've cleaned the house i've done the dishes i've put away the food in the fridge i've gotten married and had kids can i go out now so the right, point is right, that right right the point yeah, is that we from childhood can i go out now Mm -hmm. We've been waiting for permission to do what we love. And we're still waiting for that permission from someone. But the truth is that whatever you believe that you will not deserve your success, that you will not be worth it, that you will actually lose it because you get take some time for yourself. That's just a belief you, you have been living by for all this time. Right. But what else is possible? Yeah. That's it. I feel like that's, that's the, that's going to be the title of this episode too. What else is possible? I, it's so brilliant. Um, I'm going to put all of your links in the show notes to the seven day program, the 30 day program. Is there anything that you want anyone to know that if they're listening for the first time, 
like what is the main piece of advice or something that has changed your mind so much that you're like, you need people to know? <laughs> well, a lot of things change my mind. You know, every single experience of my life is, is transformative. <laughs> That's yeah, my professional right? cretinism. <laughs> I see transformation in even losing my phone. But jokes aside, <laughs> I'll, share, I'll share a story that I like to share. So if you've heard me before, you might have heard this story. Um, it was about 10 years ago because I didn't end up in business straight away. I was still fascinated by society, the issues of society. So I used to work with refugees uh, with UN, uh, refugees in Asia, and seen a lot of uh, tragedy. Uh, people who are refugees, they actually have to give up everything, their homes, their families, all their possessions, especially in Asia. And on the other side, we were building Mind Valley. So like a good girl, of course, how can I be talking about happiness? Well, I can teach other people happiness, but how can I be happy? when yeah. so much world is suffering. So these two worlds just didn't match in my, uh, in my worldview. And um, we had a, an audience with Dalai Lama around that time. And I asked him, <laughs> because I had a loud voice, I got to ask my question. So I asked him and he said, Christina, you can't help anyone if you're not happy. Mm. And I think our society, if anything, our society needs to stop downplaying happiness. It's such an important thing. It is not a prize at the end of the journey. It's not, it's not what you get if you live your life properly. It's not secondary, you know. It is important. It is incredibly important because you cannot help anyone if you're not happy. And honestly, we were talking about self-help industry. If only people who were actually at peace and happy were offering help, or let's say if help wasn't being offered from the uh, place of pain, mm, mm. that yeah. would be so good. But unfortunately, we, uh, we, we often think that this is our uh, moral duty to, to sacrifice our own happiness for a greater good, but that's bullshit. And trust me, I'm saying uh, from experience, I've experienced a revolution, a change of regime, a downfall of a country. It happens. Yes, sometimes you have to be brave sometimes, but it happens once or twice in your life. On a daily basis, that's just another myth. Your happiness is important, really important, because people who love you, who are next to you, they, they know. And don't, don't help others from the pace, place of pain. Yeah. I love that so much. I feel like I need to hear that as well. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that else that you want to plug aside from your programs or Mind Valley? Well, come see Mind Valley and you will notice me there, maybe between other awesome teachers. <laughs> no, I'm, I, 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 trust, I trust that you, you will share what needs to be shared. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much, Christina. I hope everyone listening. This one was such a good episode. There's so many nuggets in here. So revisit on your notebooks because I'm, I'm definitely going to retake notes while listening to this. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>